of God, invite somebody, let's have a great time. Of Revival, Judges chapter 8 and verse number 22, we sang about victory, and this morning I'm going to preach about victory. So that's the title of my message this morning, victory, with an exclamation point, victory. Judges chapter 8, verse 22, then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian and besides the chains that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. An ephod is a vest. He made a vest with all of the spoils of the Midianites. Amen. Victory. That's what I want to preach about this morning. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your goodness. We ask that you would direct us today in the house of God. We thank you for your word and know that you're able to bring encouragement and strength to us. This is why we've entered into this place. And so we ask that you would touch us. We give to you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Can be seated. God has revealed himself progressively through history. When I say Progressively, I'm talking about he reveals himself in another way. From the very beginning, he reveals himself in a way that was not known prior to a particular event. And that is no different today. Amen. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there are some things that are constant. His faithfulness is constantness, constant. The scripture said in James that there is no variableness nor is there shadow of turning in him. So there are some things that are constant in his nature, and yet at the same time, he always reveals himself in ways that we were not aware of or that were unknown to us. This is the way that God works. Amen. Every day is a new day. The psalmist said, sing a new song. Why? Because there are new things to be said about God's goodness and God's grace. Stop and think about it. In the world of music, there have been some very, very popular songs, and people have become very astute at writing songs and putting together things that will happen in a three, four-minute song. And so there's some categories of song. There's some lists of songs that people will come up and say, this is the number one song of all time. But it changes uh, throughout history, and people are always writing new songs. Why? Because you can never get to the bottom of the human experience. There's always a way to say it differently. There's always a way of saying it uh, uh, in a way that's more palatable to new generations. And so you've got songwriters that are still writing songs, and they will be writing songs until eternity has come. 
And that's just the human experience. That's just the things that people feel on a human level, no matter what the genre is, whether it's country music, rock music, pop music, folk music, world music, and we could go on and on and on. There are people that are continuing to write songs on a human level. And we're not talking about a human level. We're talking about God progressively revealing himself. So if you have said or thought in your mind, I've experienced everything that I need to know about God, you, you are sorely mistaken because he continues to reveal himself in new ways. Amen. We will never tap out of everything there is to know about God because the depth of God is something that we will not be able to, to reach. This is why every time I come to the house of God, I come with certain expectations, but God also always exceeds my expectations because that's the kind of God he is. And so people coming into the house of God, God draws them. He's doing things in their life. He's working. There's spontaneous breakouts of God's power and his anointing because you can't get to the bottom of how great God is. Amen. I don't care how much you've explored. There's still territory that you can find in the blessings and goodness and faithfulness and consistency of God. Praise God. Has he been good to you? Has he been faithful to you? Amen. His mercies are new every single morning. Amen. And so progressively, he has revealed himself in the scripture from the very beginning. He was known as Jehovah Jireh. He was the Lord that provides. He was known as more than just a provider, but he became Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord that heals. He became Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. He became Jehovah, Jehovah Imkadesh the Lord that sanctifies. He became Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. He became Jehovah Elion, the Lord most high. He became Jehovah Shammah, the Lord that is present. And he revealed this progressively. He revealed to Abraham from a bush, I am Jehovah Jireh, I am your provider. And then later he reveals that I'm not only a provider, but I can heal. And not only am I a healer, I can be a banner that goes before you. I can be a God that sanctifies you, a God that brings peace to you. I can be the most high. And more importantly, I can be a God that is present where you are. God is present right where you are this morning. Amen. In this building, there are different situations and circumstances in individuals' life, but wherever you are, God can be present where you you are. Amen. You could be on a mountaintop. God's present with you. You may be in the valley. God is present with you. You may be in turmoil this morning, but God is present with you. Everything may be going great and God is with you. He's a God that is present. Amen. And so he reveals, he never, he never, this is a key point here this morning in the introduction. He never stagnates. God never stagnates. Amen. The problem is not going to be with God when it comes to stagnation. It's going to be with us. Amen. So we need to start doing some introspection if we feel like we're stuck in a rut because God is never, never, never stuck in a rut. God is always working. He is 
always moving. He is always drawing. He is always compelling. Praise God. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place here today. If you feel like I'm stuck in a rut, the problem is not with God. It's because I am stuck in a rut. I've got to do something to get out of the rut. Because God never stagnates. Amen. He's always moving and he continually revealed himself until the final culmination in the name Jesus. Every Jehovah complex compound name becomes wrapped up when Peter says in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Everything is completely wrapped up in a name that's above every name. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The progressiveness of God's power and his, his ability becomes totally focused in a name that's above every name in Jesus' name. But that doesn't mean that's the end of the story because Jesus is continuing to do a work. Jesus is continuing to read. Amen. Jesus is continuing to heal individuals, and so he never stagnates. Amen. He's your lawyer in the courtroom. Praise God. He's your judge. He's your friend. He's a doctor when you need a doctor. He is a counselor when you need a counselor. Whatever you need, he can become. If it's in the will of God, you just need to reach out and say, Lord, today I need a counselor. Lord, today I need a healer praise God he's a God that will be present in your moment and he can do all the things that you need praise God that's the kind of Jesus I'm serving I'm not serving a limited God but I'm serving an unlimited God I'm not serving a finite God I'm serving an infinite God he goes as far as eternity goes in both directions we may be confined to this building but in Ethiopia somewhere, God's moving. Praise God. Praise God. I feel the anointing of God in this place. Clap your hands unto the Lord and love him. Praise God and clap your hands, not the last time, but there'll probably be many more times. <laughs> you know why? Because God is good. And his mercy endures forever. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. He never stagnates. And, and that is, that is, that's the whole, really, that's the whole thesis here this morning. He doesn't stagnate. And, and if we get in a place of stagnation, amen, I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to you. Everybody say he's preaching to me. And I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to me. Everybody say, he's preaching to himself. Say that. He's, pre he's, pre he's preaching to himself. If I get into a place of stagnation, it's not because of God. It's because there are things and situations in my life that has produced a stagnation that I, I've got to get out of because stagnation is not a good place. And this is the thesis of my message here. That's not a good place. God is always... His purpose is always to move you forward. Amen. It's the enemy that always wants to drag you back. 
back into your past, back into your failures. Back, he's always wanting to drag you. It's, it's God that's always propelling you forward, compelling you forward. I'm thankful for that. Amen. Praise God. I'm thankful that I have a short-term memory. Amen. Sometimes people want to gossip. Did you remember? No, I, I forgot. Yeah, it's the, now that you mentioned it, but I forgot all about that. Why? Because I'm thankful God's doing new things today. And I... I I'm not interested in, in, in digging through the graveyard and the bones and the tombstones of failure. I'm not looking backward. I'm looking forward. Oh, praise God. This is the kind of God that we serve. Praise God. He never gets stagnated. He's always moving forward. And so victories are something that are powerful. Amen. Victories are something that are important. Anybody have a testimony here in the house of God that God has done a victorious thing in my life? My, it may be from, uh, from addiction from drugs. It may be from a certain lifestyle. And there's different lifestyles that God can bring us from. Amen. But if you've got a testimony, that is a testimony about a victory that God has accomplished in your life. Amen. Brother Casey, thank God for a victory in your life. Amen. So every Every single one of us in the house of God today, we have testimonies, whether you were raised in church or out of church, God still does victorious things. Amen. But my point here today is you can't get stuck on the victory and live off the victory of yesterday because today is an opportunity for a new victory. And so we've got to be moving, we've got to be moving forward. And there are several Passages of scripture and examples and illustrations where individuals got so consumed with the victory that they just stopped there and they wanted to rest there and they wanted to make an, a memorial of it. They wanted to make an ephod of it. They wanted to make some kind of image out of it and just live there because it took time and effort. It, it took some work to accomplish the victory. There was blood, sweat, and tears that went into it to say, okay, I have won the battle. And so th this happens not only in a spiritual sense, but in a secular sense. There are people that train, they work, it's very difficult. And then finally when they come to that point, they are victorious. But it's not enough in your spiritual walk with God to stop at one victory. He is a God of victories, amen, not one victory. If you stop at one victory, you can stop in a certain time frame. You will become time frozen, and you will live only in that time frame, thinking about only those things in that time frame, not recognizing that God is a God of victory right now. The dynamics may have changed. The circumstances may have changed, amen. The elements and the context may have changed. The people may even change because not all of us are going to live forever, but there's still opportunities for victories today. Amen. I can't look back and say my grandmother was something so very important to me, and she was. I can look back and fond memories, but she's not here anymore. Therefore, it's, it's going to be either my responsibility or somebody else's responsibility to take up the weight of the example and life that she laid down and say, I'm going to continue this 
into the future. Praise God. Be very, very careful. I'm preaching to you, right? And I'm preaching to me. All right, you can't look at somebody and say, wish we would have had brother so-and-so, and I've got a file full of individuals that were powerfully used in the kingdom of God. They have gone on. They have crossed the Jordan. They're in another place, a good place. They have fought the good fight of faith. They have been a good soldier of the gospel. They have left to us an example. But I can't just wish somehow that they were here because I felt something or something happened while they were here. It becomes my responsibility and the responsibility of the church to rise to the occasion and say, I'm going to fill that spot and there's still more victories because we're always in a battle. The devil's never going to give up. He is never satisfied. The grave has enlarged itself. Therefore, somebody has to step up to the plate, step up and say, I'm going to be accountable and countable. I'm going to step into the realm of revival. I'm going to be a prayer warrior. I'm going to be a worshiper. I'm going to be a faithful individual in the house of God. I'm going to teach Bible studies. I'm going to be a revivalist because there is victory. Victory, victory, victory. Amen. When somebody is gone by their own desires or they are, are transplanted, there's an opportunity for somebody to step into that place and fulfill that role and do greater things. I said greater things, greater things. Stop and think about this. I know there's going to be a pushback right there because some of you think, well, we've been around here for, for over 70. We're going on almost 80 years, and there have been some things that have been done that have been fantastic. You think you can measure up to that? Listen, even Jesus, with everything that he accomplished in his own ministry, looked at the disciples and said, you're going to do greater things. You better be very, very, very careful, amen, going against the grain of Jesus himself, who was God manifested in the flesh and looked at his 12 disciples and said, you are going to do greater things. I would not be doing my job in this pulpit if I said there's nothing that is going to happen that is greater than what has already happened. I'm stepping in this pulpit looking at people on these pews and telling you God can use you in a way that is amazing. That's not an exaggeration. You just need somebody to tell you it's time to get out of the rut that you're in and your comfort zone and your, your, your happy little world that you're in and say, I'm going to be used of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I wish I had more participation because we need everybody. Praise God. We want victory. <laughs> Praise God. In Judges that we read in our text, Israel was under duress, living in dens. They were living in caves. They were living in strongholds. They were living basically under a rock because they were afraid of the Midianites. And throughout the book of Judges, it's very interesting that there is a phrase that is mentioned over and over. And it happens in verse number one. It says, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Midianites. All through the book of Judges, this happens. They're, they're caught in a cycle. 
They get the blessings of God, and then they forget the blessings of God. They start doing things their own way, and then they end up in persecution and subjugation of the countries and nations around them. And then at some point, they cry out to God because of their situation, and then God leads them to a judge. And this man or woman, Deborah was one of them, uh, leads the people out through, through a battle and there is victory and then they fall back into the same vicious cycle. In this particular case, it is Gideon and the Midianites are uh, subjugating them and they are living in caves and dens and strongholds and the Midianites would come every year at the time of harvesting and they would take their crops and they would leave them impoverished with nothing. So much so that when we read about Gideon, we find him threshing wheat in a wine press. And this is not where you thresh wheat. If you have any understanding of agriculture, you need to be on a high elevated place so that the wind can blow and separate the wheat from the chaff that we read about in the scripture. The wind will blow the chaff or the, the elements that you can't use away and what will fall of a basket or some kind of cloth that you're using to gather, the wheat will fall. Well, Gideon is in a wine press, which is a wine press is down below because a wine press, you're stomping grapes and it's creating the ability to store liquids. And so he's down there trying to, he's down there, he's down there trying to thresh wheat. Uh, this, this tells us how impoverished they were, and an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. <laughs> and Gideon says, are you talking to me? Because I'm down here, we're, we're impoverished, I'm uh, fearful for my life, and the angel of the Lord calls him a mighty man of valor. Did you know that in this place today here, there's unactivated mighty men and women of valor? They just don't know it yet. Amen. And all they need is for an angel of the Lord to come by and tell them you are a mighty man of valor or a mighty woman of valor. God's going to use you because in their mind they've been so beat down by the enemy. They don't think they can be used of God. Amen. Well, how about we agree this morning with the scripture that says God can make you what he wants you to be. You can be used in a mighty way. Amen. So Gideon, he, he, he is like, ah, this is not me. He's so nervous about this that he, flee, we call it fleecing the Lord, and some, some people still do this kind of thing. But it, it goes back, the origins of it go back to Gideon because Gideon is so nervous about this. He's like, I'm going to put a blanket or some wool out here, and in the morning let the ground be wet on the outside but not the blanket. And so it happens, and so he's still nervous about it. And so he says, okay, let's reverse the course, make the blanket and the wool uh, do wet with dew and the ground dry. And so he's fleecing God because he's trying to get answers. And in both cases, the answer is still the same. God's going to do a great victory through you. And so God's going to call you. And so he calls all the people together. And he has 32,000 people that gather together. And, and then when they go to drink, they're, they're, they're drinking water with their face down in the water and they're not lapping it up, which means they're not true warriors because they're not thinking about the environment around them. And so God says to Gideon, you know, he probably felt a little comfortable with 32,000 people that, you know, 
know, we might be able to put a dent in the Midianites, but when God says that's too many, we've got to thin the ranks. And so he thins the ranks down to 10,000. Then, then, it's, then it's kind of, that's a little nerve-wracking. And then he thins the ranks down to 300, 300 men. And the Midianites are like grasshoppers. Amen. But know this. Just, this is another message, okay? This is another message. I may need to preach that sometime. God never works in the majority. He always works in the minority. That's a powerful message. He's, he, never, he never uses the crowds. He always uses small portions that, that are either from the crowd or that are connected somehow. It's Jonathan and his armor bearer. It's two guys. It's always a few that put to flight thousands. He uses two lepers to kind of stomp into a camp, and the camps feels like he, he magnifies their footsteps, and they think there's this huge army coming in, and it's two lepers. God always works in the minority. So if you feel like, well, it's just me, and that's all there is, no. God works in that. He never uses the large crowd. He always uses the small things to confound the larger things. Amen. And so Gideon, he's left with 300 men, and he's wondering how he's going to do this. And God sets up the battle plan. And God's bat that's another message. God's battle plan is never the, the, the common knowledge or intellect of the day. It's, it's, it's always different. Like, like Jehoshaphat's going to battle, and so you would think you put the best up front, the mightiest of warriors. No, you put the praisers and the worshipers out front to blow the trumpets, and then you put the army behind them. That makes no sense. That's not common wisdom, right? Common warfare. That's not the way God works either. So you, you, you're facing this city that's huge called Jericho, and, and, and how do you do that? Get some battering rams and try to throw some oil over there, shoot some arrows. No, you walk around it every day, and then on the seventh day, you walk around seven times, and then you let out a yell, and the walls come. God, he doesn't work in numbers, and he doesn't work under conventional wisdom. Praise God, he doesn't. He doesn't. Amen. Praise God. Those, those two, two, two interesting things about how God works. So here's 300 men. They have these pitchers, and they have this light of the pitcher. And so in their left hand, they're supposed to hold a pitcher. And in their right hand, they've got a trumpet. And so they give the signal. Oh, actually, before I forget, Gideon's still nervous about this. All right? 300 men, camp of the Midianites. I don't know about this. And so he sends Fura. Fura, what a name. He sends Fura. That's a good biblical name to name your child right there, Fura. He, he names, that, that's, that's as good as Dorcas. Dorcas, I mean, these are biblical names, praise God. Fura goes down into the Midianites' camp, and he's doing a little uh, spying, and he hears two soldiers that once I had a dream. There was this big barley cape that came rolling out of nowhere, and it came in and smashed the camp. And the other guy said, yeah. He said, that's Gideon, the mighty man of valor. So Gideon, now he's got some confidence, okay? He fleeced the Lord, then God gives him a vision to help him out, even though he's only got 300 men. And so break the lanterns at the same time, break Break the lanterns and expose the light and blow the trumpets. 
and the Midianites think it's 300 armies that have surrounded them and they flee and Gideon and his men flee after them and God works a powerful miracle through a man that didn't think he accomplished or had much to offer and God worked it out because that's how God works. Praise God. That's exciting. That is awesome. But here, what we read in our text, it, that was a great victory. Everybody say victory. Victory. Praise God. You got to say it like that. Victory. Okay. Victory. We're going to have victory. And so there was victory. And yet Gideon, because of this, this happening that we read in our text, he gathers all the spoils and he creates this ephod or this vest, puts all this jewels and jewelry and all this kind of stuff in it. And the Bible said that people went a-whoring after it. In other words, they made the victory an idol, and they started worshiping the idol of the victory. And this is a very simple message here this morning. They got stuck on the victory and didn't see beyond the God of the victory. All they could see is that God worked something here, and they built up an idol, and everybody started gazing at it and looking at it. And, and the scripture that we read said a-whoring after after. They lusted after. They thought about it. They were so transfixed by it that they didn't see that God is already moving to the next battle and he's a God that will continue to do victory. God is always on the move and on the march. Don't get stuck, Gideon, on one time defeating the Midianites. Amen. Praise God. There's a God that's going to defeat the Midianites and there's other territory and there's other battles that you can win but you can't get stuck on this one victory because I'm going to continue to use you praise God but he didn't he didn't and they fell right back into the same vicious cycle it's, it's fascinating that this happens multiple times it happens when the children of Israel in the wilderness they come out of Egypt God leads them out of bondage they start complaining and they complain about a lot of things they complained about the flesh pots. We could have been back in Egypt, and now we're out here, and we don't know what we're doing, and there's not water, and, and God's taking them on a journey. This is another message. Man, there's all kinds of messages here today. God's taking them from Egypt to the promised land, but in between those two things to get to the promised land, sometimes you have to sacrifice and go through stuff, and they weren't patient enough to recognize God's taking us to a great place. And so in their, the period of their trying, and they got impatient, they started complaining. Amen. There's another, praise God, there's another message there. God's taking you somewhere. Amen. God's leading you somewhere. There's a place that he's going. You may not feel it right now. It may feel like you're under duress. You're persecuted. Your spirit is not right. You're not where you need to be, and, and, and you're wanting to get there, but things just feel amiss. Know this. God's got a, he's got a plan for your life. He's got a place for your life, and he's leading you somewhere. Don't get impatient in the moment and start complaining and criticizing and griping because God eventually you're going to get to the promised land okay he didn't he didn't take you out of Egypt whatever Egypt is in your life to get you into the wilderness and then let you die there he's taking you somewhere and he's moving and there is movement keep moving to where he's going but they didn't they started complaining about all kinds of stuff and so it, it angered God and he sent serpents out into the people and the 
the serpents were biting the people and people were dying. And so then the uh, Hebrews looked at Moses and said, help us, save us out of this because this is terrible and this is inflicting damage on us and our families. And so Moses came up with an idea about taking a fiery serpent and, and fashioning it and putting it on a pole and then lifting up the pole. Everyone that was bitten, when they would look upon the pole, they would live. When they would look up, and then that's where you get in modern uh, medical terminology, you get, the, you get that whole thing. That, that the origin of it is from Moses because when they would look at that, they would be healed and saved. And so this... This was a this was a victory. This was a victory because people were dying. I believe it was uh, well over uh, thousands that died. And so he erected this pole, and this became a type of Christ because when Christ is lifted up, you don't need a serpent on a pole. All you have to do now is look at Jesus. But in, in Moses' day, they they built this, and and God worked something out that was marvelous. But here's what is fascinating. You read past that and you get to 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse number 4. Zechariah removed the high places and he broke the images. This was always a problem with the Hebrews. They were always wanting to worship something. And the images, the groves, the, the idols, the figurines, because God was not a God in the physical. He was a God that walked with them and that was faithful to them. The nations around them always attached significance to something that was physical. And this was always the struggle. And so there was always a temptation to try to bring something in and worship it. And so Zechariah, when he feels like that the people are in a spirit of declining spiritually, and it's because of false idols and false worship, he removed the high places, he broke down the images, he cut down the groves, and then we get this tidbit in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse number 4. He broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made, for unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, they were burning incense to it. They Again, again, they, they saw the victory. They saw the healing power and the healing work of God. And so they created something that became a stumbling block because they started worshiping the very thing that saved them, not seeing that God is greater than the image or greater than the victory. And, and it became a stumbling block. The victory God gave them became a hindrance because they never looked beyond the victory. Amen. I want to say again, I've said it multiple times because that is the thesis here this morning. God has done great things in my life, but I'm not satisfied with what was done yesterday. I'm thankful for it. I go back and reminisce about it, but I'm not just, I can't live there. I cannot live there. I'm sorry. Maybe it's just me. Maybe that's something that you can do and you can just float along and it's all good and dandy. But if things are not happening and God's not doing victorious things, I get unsettled. And the reason I'm unsettled is because I recognize that's not the nature of God. God is always doing stuff. Amen. And that makes me nervous. If that baptismal tank is too dry for too long, that makes me nervous. If people are not receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that makes me nervous. If God is not digging people out from where they are, that makes 
makes me nervous. If there's not things happening that are miraculous, signs, miracles, and wonders, that makes me nervous because God is a God of victory. God is not limited to just one expression of his power. Amen. As the musicians come this morning. David declared in Psalm 145, verse number 3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. As long as God is around, he's going to continue to be great. Job stated in Job chapter 26, verse 14, The thunder of his power, who can understand? God, reveal the thunder of your power. No man can understand that. David said in 139, verse 6 of Psalms, Such knowledge. Knowledge is too wonderful me for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Isaiah asked and answered his own question in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. And Paul in Romans chapter 11 verse 33 declared, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Every single one of these writers understood that God is more powerful than one experience, one deliverance, one healing, one answer. He's the same God that is able to continue to do great things. Oh, I'm preaching here in the house of God today. Don't you think I'm denigrating the victories of the past? I am not, absolutely not, but I am saying we've got somewhere to go. There's a battle to fight. There are some things that we've got to conquer. And there's victory to be had because God is on our side. And if the Lord is with us, who can be against us? No weapon formed against me shall prosper because God is before me. We need to thank God for every victory that he's accomplished. But we need to believe God for every victory that is in front of us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Pentecost wasn't about just an upper room experience. <laughs> the excitement of receiving the Holy Ghost, they didn't. They didn't make him a moral out. Did you know you can still go to what is considered the same room, the upper room, and the room of the Last Supper is the same room, supposedly. And you can go to Israel and you can stand in it. It's, it's a chapel. It's, no, it's, it's nowhere near what uh, the upper room probably would have looked like. It looks like some kind of uh, Byzantine chapel. It's got columns and stuff in there. <laughs> You want to know a funny story? <laughs> this is a funny story. Right below it, this is a hilarious story. This is this kind of, keep playing that. That's really good, whatever you're doing. Uh, this is probably going to take this altar call from high and powerful to just a concluded service. Because <laughs> I know the, the pastor that took the group. He was going to do his own tour guide thing so he took like I don't know, 40 people they had two they had multiple tour buses it it was from from what I understand an absolute train wreck uh, and this guy has had no diplomacy and understanding about Israel at all when, when you go into 
the upper room, what is considered there, they tell you, you have to be quiet. You can't be loud and what have you. Because David's tomb is below it. You walk down to, to David's tomb and so you got, there's, I mean, there's Jews down there that are reverencing David's tomb very, very quietly. So you can't, well, this was an opportunity, upper room, to talk about the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, you see where this is going? This is going to be a trade wreck. And so this guy gets up and he starts talking about the power of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost actually breaks out in the upper room. But it breaks out and it's so, it's so loud that down below the people are getting very upset to the point where soldiers with guns break into the upper room like you people have to leave now because you're being disrespectful. And they were like, this is the upper room. This is how opposite. <laughs> the guy comes out, the guys come out with a gun and tell them to move. And this guy's like, this is what we as apostolics do. Come on, you lost your mind. What are you doing? They were escorted out of there. Listen, that up, it was nice to go in there and say this is the upper room. That upper room is, there was a great victory, but that ain't it. I'm sorry. Praise God. It was fun to kind of look at it and tour through it. The power that was in that room, that's where it's at. And that power's in this room. And that power can be in any room in the entire world. It's not about a building. It's about the power of the Holy Ghost. They didn't make that room a memorial. They didn't make, they didn't stay there. They didn't, they, they continued to move. In Acts chapter number three, Peter and John were going up into the temple and there was a man that was there that was lame. And they said, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They didn't make the gate beautiful, a memorial. You can still go to, you can still see part of the gate beautiful. And it's an amazing experience. But the power that was at the gate is still in operation. I, I can't make a memorial out of the gate and just stay at the gate because God's still moving. Acts chapter 4, they gathered together in a room because they were being persecuted. They had a, a prayer meeting and the Holy Ghost broke out in a powerful way. They didn't make that room a place that they memorialized. Acts chapter number 5, Peter was delivered out of prison because there was a group of of believers that were praying. They didn't even believe when Peter knocked on the door. They couldn't believe it was him. They didn't make that room a place of memorial. But in Acts chapter 6, Stephen was preaching. Stephen preached a powerful message. They didn't make that place a memorial either because the Holy Ghost is still moving. Revival breaks out in Acts chapter 8 in Samaria. Praise God. But they didn't stay in Samaria. It went from Samaria and then it broke out when Paul was converted. And it didn't just stop with it went throughout the entire world. In 
Acts chapter number 10, it broke out in Cornelius' house. The power of God continue as they went from one victory to another. Don't get stuck on one revival or one victory. Praise God because, amen, go back and think about it and listen to the messages and talk about the goodness of God and what God did and what he accomplished. Many of you can remember the revivals. Some of you can probably remember revivals of verbal being. Amazing. I can remember revivals of Cody Marks and all the crazy, zany things that happened during that revival. I can talk about that, be excited about that. Thank God for the blessing of that. But revival's tomorrow. Revival's coming. Amen. And so I'm, I've got to I got to keep moving because, amen, if I don't, there's going to be a generation that doesn't know what a revival of verbal being and Cody Mark. There's more revivals. There's greater things that are going to happen. And I can't let my foot off the gas. I got to keep praying. I've got to keep praising. I've got to keep preaching. I've got to keep reaching. Victory! Because there's victory that's going to happen. Amen. There's victory that's going to happen. Stop and think about where God brought you. There's somebody just like you that God's reaching for. Hallelujah. God in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 17. Listen to this. Now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, victory to victory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. Praise God. You know what we need to pray about this morning? Amen. I'll tell you what we need to be what we need to pray about this morning. I think it would be good if it would be an altar call that would include everybody in this building that we would pray about victories that have not yet happened. Because that's an acknowledgement that God is still doing great things and a great work. Praise God. Amen. Come on, don't give up on your family. There's still victories in your family. <laughs> Praise God. I said there's still victories in your family. Don't give up on them yet. Don't give up on Bakersfield yet. There's still victories in Bakersfield. Hallelujah. Praise God. Come on. Would you step out of a pew and walk to this front and say, you know what? I agree with you, Pastor. There's victories. Victory. There's revival. There's anointing that hasn't happened yet. There's people that are reaching. They're reaching. They don't know where to go, what to do. Praise God. Hallelujah. But they're going to find their way into the house of God. Come on, pray it, pray it, pray it. God, fill this building. Fill this house. Fill this place. Fill other places in this city. Do a work where we're reaching, where we're striving. We agree together in the house of God that you're a God of victory.